Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Danielle DiMartino Booth. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, everybody, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. The show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, RJO Futures, and Top Step Trader. To learn about some of the great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com slash sponsors. Today, I spoke with the CEO and Chief Strategist for Quill Intelligence, Danielle DiMartino Booth. Danielle and I kicked off the show talking about what else? The Fed and yield curves. She shares with us what she believes the yield curves are telling us about the economy and why she is keeping a very close eye on crude oil, the housing market, home builders, and collateralized loan obligations. We did a rapid fire of her macro thoughts on several markets such as gold, U.S. dollar, the stock market, and even Bitcoin. Last but not least, we talked about the high-yield bond market. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Danielle. Welcome back to the show. Awesome to be here today. How are you doing? Doing great. How about that Super Bowl last night? Pretty incredible, wasn't it? You watched down to the very last quarter and the halftime show was was awesome as well. So that was it was it was the best in years in my view. And go Chiefs. I was going for the for, for the Chiefs and they won. Yeah, you know, my heart was pulling for the Chiefs, um, but my pocketbook was pulling for the 49ers. It didn't happen. No big deal. It was a great game. Uh, I, I always love the Super Bowl. It's one of my favorite days of the year. A little sluggish on today uh, for me coming in as we record here on the Monday after the Super Bowl. So thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. A lot going on in the markets. I follow everything you put out very closely. You put out great content all the time. And you know, you've been on the show uh, a bunch of times in the past. And I always like to, to change it up a little bit. And to try to pick your brain in different ways. And one of the things that I do every time I listen to you speak or, or read your reports is I always look to see, okay, what is Danielle talking about right now that's having an impact on the market? What is it that she's talking about right now that is not having an impact but may soon in the future? And also, what is potentially surprising me that's happening based upon what you're saying. So maybe the opposite is happening in the market versus what the things that you're talking about in in the big picture. So I want to see what you think right now about some ideas that you're having that are currently having an impact that you're surprised about or that you think will soon have an impact. Let's start off with what things are you following right now that are currently not having an impact on the market, but you think will soon have an impact so th- 
I, I follow the Fed the most closely because I think that we've learned our lesson uh, with this phase one trade deal that is now the fading trade deal, um, that, that Fed policy is really the most critical determinant of where markets are heading. Uh, I, I think Jay Powell and the Federal Open Market Committee members have learned that lesson the hard way over the past year. Uh, but it's clear right now that the markets are leading Fed to, to make policy, and that's what we have to pay attention to the most closely. So I'm following that yield curve like every single second of the trading day. And I'm also following crude oil prices. Very important right now. So when you say you're following the yield curve, what specific yield curve are you watching? I know I, I watch the three-month tenure, which is the one that the Fed follows the most closely. So if they're following it, I'm following it. If, if it's inverted, they think it's inverted. You know, bubble vision for first the two-year tenure, but again, uh, the most accurate of them all is the three-month tenure. And you know, two weeks ago, you would have said that that we were going to continue to see a steepening, and yet last week it dipped into inversion again. Rare you see a re-inversion of the yield curve, but that's exactly what the coronavirus has produced for us. So in the past, when you look at that three-month tenure inversion that you're talking about. What impact on the markets, let's talk stock markets here, or maybe any markets that you're following, how long does it take for that to start impacting other markets? So there are, uh, there are averages. If you look at the seven post-war three-month, 10-year yield curve inversions, on average, the United States economy is in recession within 10 months. Uh, but we find that the more intrusive and the lower the Fed holds interest rates for longer, you know, you've, you've heard the term lower for longer, the longer we have this kind of interest rate repression, the, the longer the runway between when the yield curve first inverts and when we slide into recession. And so it could go all the way out to 24 months from when it inverted uh, last March. So 10 to 24 months is pretty much that timeline. Now, how long does the curve have to stay inverted? Because like you said, it was inverted, then it wasn't, and now it is again. Is there something that you look at that says it has to stay inverted for this long, or does it just have to be inverted just for, I don't know, a day? No, no, there, there's an answer for that too. The yield curve has to be inverted for three months or longer in order for the impulse to really count, if you will. If it's not, then it might be a head fake, but we definitely saw that three-month mark hit, and it wasn't too long after that that the Fed forcibly uninverted the yield curve by buying short-rate maturity treasury bills. So we saw the three months, then the Fed stepped in. So I guess, do you think that because we did see the three months that you're looking for and the Fed has done something to, like you said, forced this change of the inversion of the yield curve that maybe now we don't see that recession within 10 to 24 months? You know, it's, it's really difficult to say the global reflation trade, the stabilization that all the traders were going into 2020, that that was kind of their working assumption was that the rest of the world was going to pull out of the industrial recession that it was in and that it was going to, uh, to bring the United States with it. While we've definitely seen some green shoots, now that we have this tremendous element of uncertainty that's re-entered the global picture, 
we we can't say for sure. And the whole script of you know the 1995 and the 1998 episodes when the Federal Reserve came in with three rate cuts, which were not followed by recession, you know that that playbook. I think I'm still thinking of the Super Bowl, but that playbook has been thrown out the window, and we now have two price cuts, uh, two, two rate cuts priced in through next January. So the idea that this was going to be a mid-cycle adjustment has faded with the advent of this, this, you know, basically the shutting down of the world's second largest economy. So you say it's uncertain about what happens from here because of, once again, the Fed intervening. What would change your mind to say, you know what, maybe the recession just isn't going to come? Well, and that's, you know, Goldman Sachs put out a, a very intriguing story uh, the first few days of the year that said maybe the United States is Australia. Maybe the Fed has effectively eradicated the business cycle. You know, we'll have to see. We've had, we've had corporate bankruptcies in January double what they were last year. Again, if you look at crude oil prices and if you look at jobless claims in, in, in states that are in the oil patch, jobless claims have been increasing and you know the number of Americans collecting unemployment insurance, continuing jobless claims, that is the most data point that I follow because it's a clean read. It's the, 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 the not seasonally adjusted number that's released every single Thursday morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is a clean read on the number of Americans collecting unemployment insurance. That rose in the fourth quarter and that rose in the first quarter as well in the first three weeks of January. Uh, if that was to reverse and we were to see appreciable huge numbers of people getting jobs, and we were to see the, the, the continued improvement in ISSM new orders, if the data change, I've got to change my mind. And we, we could indeed avert recession. I think you would have to see also at the same time, markets show you evidence that they can exist without the heroin that the, the, the Fed, is, Fed is constantly pumping into the system. That, I think, is a harder test to pass. Yeah, well, thank you for giving us some things to watch going forward. Uh, let's move to crude oil now. You said you've been watching that as we record today. Like we said, day after the Super Bowl, crude is breaking out to lower lows, lows we haven't seen in a, in a, in a while. What are your thoughts about what's driving the price action in crude oil right now? Well, there are two separate factors. In the very short, immediate term, uh, you know, traffic on the last day of the Lunar New Year, according to the Chinese Transit Authority, was down 84%. So in the very short term, we've seen this tremendous demand shock to crude oil prices. But if you look out longer, it doesn't seem to matter what was happening in the Middle East. Crude oil could not hold its gains. And that is a reflection of the shale revolution and the fact that you've got the ability to flip a switch and increase production if, if crude oil prices hit a certain benchmark where all of a sudden it's profitable to you as, as, as the extracting company. But because of that, I think we've learned that there's a natural ceiling that's been put on crude oil prices, at least in the medium term, and that is having a very detrimental effect on, on energy companies that are reporting some of the worst, ugliest earnings that we've seen 
in, in a generation, and now we've got energy stocks in a full-blown correction, 20% correction mode. The, it, it's, it's, it's the economic outflow from this. It's the rising joblessness. It's the insolvencies and the bankruptcies. It's going to be the forced consolidation or the continuation of this forced consolidation. I think, I think the, the major players in oil are going to make out like bandits because they'll finally be able to buy assets at cut rate prices, at fire sell prices. But there's, there's an economic cost to that that's going to come out in the economy of the, the world's 10th largest economy, which is otherwise known as Texas, and as well as the Canadian economy, where the entire yield curve is inverted, um, all the way up to the 30-year mark, as well as Mexico, which remains in recession. So the, the ripple effects, if you will, of oil prices being below the $60 mark carry grave consequences for the U.S. economy. Hey, everybody, a quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small-cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index Futures Contract, symbol R-T-Y. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. So similar to what you talked about for us looking at what clues we should be looking for going forward to maybe hold off a possible recession, what things would you be looking for in crude oil to say to you, you know what, this is starting to look like crude should start going back up? Well, I think that that comes down to a function of global oil demand as well as national oil demand. So you'd have to see uh, a healing in the global economy that ignited, reignited global demand for oil. And I don't think we're there yet. But again, any narrative can change and anything is possible if the coronavirus passes very quickly. And there are a lot of analysts who suggest that that is going to be just the case. If, if it passes quickly and we see a V-shaped recovery in China and if you combine that with all of the stimulus that the People's Bank of China and the Federal Reserve are, are putting into the system, then, then you could possibly see a rebound in global oil demand, and that would certainly benefit the situation. I want to move on and talk about things that you're following right now that you're surprised about, the reactions, right? So what macro themes are you looking at to when you look at the market, you, you maybe scratch your head and go, that just that just doesn't make any sense. This price action doesn't make any sense to what I'm seeing here in the macro picture. So you know, I would start with home builders. We've we've seen pending home sales in January decline, not just in pockets of the Northeast, maybe where where the the salt where where the state and local property tax cap has, has really put a governor on on sales. But it wasn't just in the Northeast or the Midwest. It was in the West and in the South. These are critical housing hubs that with mortgage rates as low as they are, you shouldn't see pending home sales falling. So I would expect that the dramatic decline that we've seen in the 10-year rate feed through to lower mortgage rates and possibly support the incredible valuations that some of these home building stocks uh, have right now. But that's, you know, I'm I'm not convinced about the durability of, of the housing rebound. In fact, a column about just this. And I think that, again, the onus is going to fall back on Jay Powell 
to lower interest rates again to keep the rebound going, which was one of the few bright spots in the U.S. economy in 2019. So I'm not so sure the market is reasonably and realistically looking at what's going on in, in housing right now and that there might be a, a, an over-optimism that's based on the, the assumption that we've got more rate cuts to come, which is the last thing that Jay Powell wants to do, despite the fact that the market is, is pricing it in. So that's one area that, that I'm looking at. The other is the fact that we were learning very quickly that collateralized loan obligations, which have been the darling of the current cycle, are backed by a lot of toxic garbage. So I'm, I'm surprised that we've not seen more of a reaction when one of these companies goes bad, and we've seen bankruptcies in you know, dairy companies going bankrupt and, and lodging companies going bankrupt. This is not isolated to the energy industry. When, when, these, when these bonds and when these loans trade down, they don't trade down a little bit. They gap down. And that's another thing that I'm following very closely because it wasn't until the very end of the subprime mortgage bubble that we knew really what the price of this paper was in the real market when it finally traded realistically. And it wasn't pretty. Yeah, as we as traders say all the time, it, when we look at these things that are happening on the macro picture, they don't matter until they do. I mean, sometimes price doesn't reflect right away. Obviously, it takes time for some of these things that you're talking about. And I want to talk about some things that you're looking at right now that are in specific markets to where just the exact opposite of what we just discussed, you were surprised about some of those things. But these things you look at in specific markets and you say, you know what, this is exactly what I believe should be happening in these markets. So I'm going to put on a different hat for a few minutes and, and say that the upside surprise in the ISM report is not just something that we saw coming at Quill Intelligence, but something we wrote about. I, I think something that surprised traders that were overly pessimistic going into the ISM report is that there was going to be great momentum because inventories had been depleted to the extent that they had. And in fact, the most forward-looking of all industries, which we follow very closely, is chemicals. And there were some really constructive, positive comments made on the part of U.S. manufacturers that they're starting to see an increase in global demand for chemicals. You know, that really puts the idea of the rest of the global economy is healing back in, in the forefront and something we're going to have to pay close attention to with the big caveat, with the big asterisk that Germany's economy counts and the country that's going to be harmed the most deeply by the coronavirus after Australia is going to be Germany. Hey, everybody. I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. All right, I want to do a little rapid fire before we get into the rapid fire. <laughs> and I, I'm, what I want to do is I just want to give you some markets and I just want you to basically tell me what you think the macro theme is for those markets. If you're bullish, a little bit reasons why, bearish reasons why, neutral, some reasons why. So let's start off with just the stock market. Well, let's see the stock market. I'm bullish as long as the Fed moves from buying treasury bills into buying coupons 
and continues to increase the size of its balance sheet. As long as the, the liquidity is flowing, there's no reason to think that the stock market rally should, should come to a halt. Crude oil. I would have to say that that's a big depends. Right now, I'm, I'm neutral with, with downside risk simply because we don't know how many bankruptcies are going to be coming out of this sector, and we have no idea what global demand is going to do or not do in the coming months. I'd be very careful about playing this, this sector, but I'd add to that that valuations are certainly getting really, really cheap. If you know the business and if you understand the shale patch, there might be buying opportunities if you want to get in early here. Gold. I think as long as the printing presses worldwide are humming and going, I think that you've got upside in gold prices. I think the precious metals area in general uh, has, has got great upside from here. And I think that that's one of the best ways that you can hedge your portfolio. Tenure. Gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm wishy-washy here, but, uh, but, but I'm not, I have no crystal ball on this. I think if the coronavirus goes away in, in one or two quarters that we could see serious upside in the 10 year with, with, with the warning that 2% is the new 3%. So I think that 2% barrier is what really scares traders away. Whereas a year ago, it might've been 3% that was the, that was the upper threshold. If the situation in China gets worse, I think we could see the 10-year yield trade down to 1%. 30-year bonds. 30-year bonds. It was interesting to see that they were flirting with 2% a few days ago. Uh, I think that the 30-year might be a little bit rich here. How about any currencies that you are, are following? Are you watching the euro, the pound? Talk to us about any of those. Well, I think it was telling, with especially with the pound, that we saw uh, the UK's ISM, the UK, excuse me, the UK's PMI pop up to 50. Look, they've got their own currency. The Brexit situation, I don't think, is going to be as dire as what a lot of uh, traders and strategists had been concerned about. So I think that you're going to certainly see stability in in the pound. And as far as the euro, I would I, I would again walk very cautiously. We saw. Italy and France both go into contraction in the fourth quarter. Those GDP red prints were not expected. And again, if it's only Germany that's holding up the continent, we could be in for some bumpy rides and the euro could see some downside from here. Last week, I had our friend uh, Mark Yusko on the show. And of course, we talked about Bitcoin and he said he's doubling up on Bitcoin uh, this year. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Well, look. I think that Bitcoin is is the most I think Bitcoin is your modern day gold. It reflects an anxiety that is rightfully out there that central banks are printing away the underlying value of their their country's currencies. So there there's a certain rationale that I'd like about Bitcoin. I think it's too expensive however to manufacture. So I think when quantum enters the picture then you could possibly have real upside in the crypto space. I'm, I'm just not quite there yet because, again, we have seen some serious issues when it comes to security of coin, and those are going to have to be corrected before you can actually say, I've got my full confidence in this because you have to have sanctity if, it's, if you're talking about having a currency substitute. Do you own any Bitcoin? I do not, but I own gold. U.S. dollar. I think the U.S. dollar continues to benefit, even though everybody wants to get against it, 
But as long as the United States remains the most attractive horse in the glue factory, I think that it will continue to be the beneficiary of safe haven flows. Last year, Quill Intelligence called for the dollar to end the year higher. It did. And I don't see any reason that there should be major downside in the dollar this year. I'm going to throw the caveat out there with the condition that crude oil prices don't drag the U.S. economy into recession. That's how important crude is. Any markets that I missed that you want to talk about? I think that the high yield bond market and is as well as the triple B market maintain uh, this kind of they, they, they're they're problematic. They're the current cycles problem children, and we've seen a doubling in the size of the corporate bond market. We've never seen non financial business debt in this country anywhere near where it is. It's record seventy four percent. Of, Jew, of, of U.S. GDP. So I would be very cautious about owning any of these markets blindly through ETFs and understand individual credits and own bonds that way rather than try and play markets in a wholesale fashion because you, you do see that the prices of some of these exchange-traded funds and indexes gap down quickly. So if you're going to own them, own individual securities. That was great. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for, for doing that with me. Um, for, for somebody who's licking your wounds the day after the Super Bowl, you are on fire. <laughs> and now we have our next rapid fire segment, uh, if you're ready for those. Let's do this. All right, everybody. Our rapid fire segment is sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You could try it now for free at tryttnow.com. Danielle, who has influenced your life the most and why? So it's funny you ask, and you might recognize the first name, even though he wouldn't be able to pick me up out of a lineup. Tony James influenced my career more than anybody else's when he sold DLJ at the very peak of the internet bubble. He was really able to time the markets. When he he recently stepped aside from Blackstone, I said to myself, you know what? There might be a bubble in private equity. So always know who influencers are, people people who understand the ebbs and the flows of the economy and follow follow their lead. What was one of the hardest things for you to overcome in tracking the markets and the economy? I had to stop fighting the Fed. It was really difficult because I spent the better part of a decade inside the Fed, fighting the Fed. And when I got out, I had to understand and appreciate that even though it was not good for the long-term health of the economy, that if you were going to be an investor, you cannot fight the Fed. You have to follow liquidity flows. They're more important than fundamentals. They're more important than any, any other aspect of investing as long as you've got central banks playing the overly intrusive role that they play today. What is one attribute that you believe every trader should have? I think every trader should have more than anything else a disciplined approach to when they should sell things, especially, especially if they're shorting stocks. Favorite book about trading or the markets? Read The Lords of Finance. Read it once, read it twice. It'll take you a long time. It's not an easy read, but read The Lords of Finance if you want to see how the intersection of monetary policy and the stock market, 
how they interact with one another, how that led up to World War I and World War II. If you don't understand and appreciate the history of the markets, you're nowhere. If you had to pick a profession other than tracking the markets and the economy, what would it be? I would want to be a senator who imposed term limits. What's the best piece of advice that you received about trading? The best piece of advice that I've received about trading is that you have to constantly be aware of what the pie looks like. I was once told by Charlie Munger, the number two at Berkshire Hathaway, that the efficient frontier was effectively dead as long as central banks were running the show. And that means that you can never, ever place too much of your portfolio or your confidence in any one individual If you could go back in time and give the younger you a piece of advice, what would it be? Own more stocks. Last question for today, Danielle. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? I love to travel more than anything else. You give me sand, you give me sea, I'm a happy person. (laughs) I'm with you. Danielle, where could people follow you on Twitter and give us a website to check out? Uh, follow me at Demartino Booth. It's long, but you'll get there. And if you ever have insomnia, I'll be right there with you. And look at my research at quillintelligence.com. We put out a daily, we put out a weekly, and we have a cult readership following on the street. So come join me. I read everything you put out, Danielle. You're fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on Futures Radio Show today. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on FuturesRadioShow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.